you've been following the ongoing Deepwater Horizon oil spill response effort in the Gulf of Mexico, you probably know that NOAA is playing a big supporting role to help contain the spreading oil and in protecting the Gulf's marine life. NOAA's involvement is expansive. It ranges from providing scientific expertise to the Coast Guard and Unified Command, to identifying short and long-term impacts on the Gulf's ecosystems, to keeping seafood safe, to protecting wildlife and habitats. Now, while we can't cover all of these activities in this short podcast, we can hone in on the activities of one NOAA office that's critically important to this effort, the Ocean Services Office of Response and Restoration. And to help us do that today, we're going to hear from Doug Helton, a response and restoration expert who's been part of the Gulf oil spill response from day one. It's Thursday, August 5th, and this is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We're joined in this episode by Doug Helton, Response and Restoration's Incident Operations Coordinator. We reached Doug by telephone last week in Huma, Louisiana, where he's currently deployed in support of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill response. What exactly does an Incident Operations Coordinator do? Doug said that the bulk of his job is spent at office headquarters in Seattle, where he makes sure the NOAA staff working on scene in the Gulf, and at all other spill sites around the country, have the resources they need to do their jobs. But he's also spent a lot of time on scene in the Gulf over the past few months on the front line. We started out by asking him what he's now doing in Louisiana. It's a little bit of a transition. I was doing shoreline assessments. NOAA helps with surveying where the oil is on shorelines and helps to prioritize how to clear up those shorelines. That's a team effort with representatives of the state and with BP and the federal government. So I was the federal rep on one of the survey teams. And then today I'm transitioning into being a scientific support in the HOMA command post. Doug said that response and restoration has two major roles in this spill. The first is to be a science advisor to the Coast Guard, and the second is to conduct studies and evaluations to determine what's been harmed and what it's going to take to restore the resources that have been injured in the Gulf. For Deepwater Horizon, response and restoration experts can also be thought of as sort of the glue tying together all the different parts of NOAA's involvement. They're part of what's called the Unified Command. That's a structure set up to link together the many organizations responding to the incident, and it's a forum for these agencies to reach a consensus. The job of the NOAA reps is to represent NOAA and to ensure that the best possible science is used in the decision-making process throughout the spill response. There's a a lot of facets to it. The core mission for my office, for Office of Response and Restoration, is to do the big picture forecasting of where the oil is going to go, how long it's going to take to get to the shore, and then what kinds of harm it might cause when it gets to the shore or when it's while it's at sea. And that's used to help guide how best to clean it up and how best to treat those shorelines. So it includes a whole bunch of subsets, including helping to provide the weather support, We don't obviously do that ourselves, but we can make sure that the Weather Service is plugged in and providing information to the Unified Command. We work with the National Fisheries Service to make sure that the fisheries issues are on the table when decisions are made about how to treat the spill and how to clean up shorelines. And we work with other parts of the agency to sort of be the conduit of, of science into the command post. This work is engaging just about the entire staff of the Office of Response and Restoration, around 110 people nationwide, including support staff. Doug said the demand is so great that the office has even recalled 
at least a half a dozen retirees with previous oil spill experience, and the offices brought in NOAA staff from other parts of the agency to help backfill positions because so many people are deployed to the Gulf. We have a very small team. You know, the Coast Guard is a much larger organization. The Department of Interior is a much larger organization. And NOAA's got a small core team in Office of Response and Restoration, but it's very much augmented and strengthened by reaching into the rest of NOAA. So we have almost every line office in NOAA is involved in supporting, if not here, then doing so from their home offices. So critical information coming in from the satellite service critical support from fisheries. Every day, the decisions that are made in the operational response are based on the weather service forecasts. The uh, NOAA Corps is doing a great job of providing all the assets like aircraft and ships to help with the survey work. So pretty much every part of the uh, agency is contributing, and it's a, a pretty amazing thing to see it come together. So what's the status of the spill now? Well, now that the Deepwater Horizon well has been capped for several weeks, you might think that the response effort will begin to wind down. And while Doug said that the overall unified command structure will likely downsize to some extent over the coming months, it's important to note that the oil only stopped gushing into the Gulf a couple of weeks ago. He said that for most spills, the job is only just beginning at this point. In some ways, this is when we typically start a spill is when you know, a ship runs aground it might puncture a hold and spill oil for a few hours, and then the release period is over, and then the rest of the response is dealing with the oil as it spreads, as it hits shorelines. We're now at that point where the release is secured, but we still have floating oil out there. We still have oil on shorelines. The good news is that it appears that a lot of the oil is dispersing and degrading naturally. There's been some reports in the news that the oil is dispersing or degrading more readily than anticipated. We suspected all along that this oil was going to disperse and, and degrade in various ways. Those would include the oil, when it's released at the source, it starts to dissolve in the water column and disperse naturally. When it reaches the surface, we have a very warm climate. Every day it's close to 100 degrees. That uh, combined with lots of sunlight helps to degrade the oil and the oil spreads into very thin layers once it uh, reaches the surface, and those are very vulnerable to evaporation and to photooxidization of the oil. So there's a lot of processes that will help to degrade the oil. Once that source was secured, we could see that the oil, the surface expression anyways, is degrading and dispersing very rapidly. But there's still concern about oil that's dissolved in the water column and dispersed in small droplets, so we're continuing to study that. He said that lessons learned from experience with previous spills plays a big role in guiding projections about what we might expect to happen with this spill, and there's many decades of shared experience among the scientific support staff from Response and Restoration. Doug alone has been responding to major spills for 18 years. He recalled one spill he worked on back in 1990 in Galveston, Texas. It involved a Norwegian tank vessel called the Megaborg, an explosion in the pump room of the ship led to a spill of about 4.2 million gallons of oil. That was a very light crude. There was a fire involved with that one. A lot of the oil burned off, a lot of it evaporated, and relatively minor shoreline effects. But it gave us an idea of how a light crude might behave in the summertime in this kind of environment. And that's one of many spills. My office responds to a couple hundred spills a year. 
So each of those gives you a, some inference and some expectation about how whales going to behave in a different environment and different location. Experience with past spills also sheds light on how oil may affect shorelines along the Gulf. Consider the many sandy shores along the Gulf Coast, for instance. How might spilled oil affect these areas? What should we expect if hurricanes roll through the region? We have some expectation from other spills what kinds of impacts might persist. And one of those is we still have a lot of oiled shoreline. Some of the shorelines are sandy. And when you have storm events like the passing of a hurricane or even a a smaller tropical storm, you stir up that sand and deposit clean sand on top of the oiled sand. That, he said, could result in buried oil on some of the sand beaches. But of course, not all Gulf Coast is sandy shoreline. We also know that there's oil in a lot of the marshes, and that can persist for some time as well. So there'll be continued impacts in those areas. But we're also seeing we're entering into the peak of the hurricane season, and some of those shorelines will be eroded and that oil will be mixed and degraded by more wave energy as we go through the hurricane season. He said that careful study is a big part of understanding the potential impact of the oil as it hits different coastal areas. The key is to understand the unique physical and biological nature of each shoreline where oil comes ashore. So is it a vegetated shoreline? Is it a sandy shoreline? Is it a low energy shoreline like a protected bay or estuary or is it an open coastal area, those physical and biological features will help us understand what kind of resources live there and what might be affected by the spill and what might be affected by the cleanup operation itself. While teams continue to study potential impacts of dissolved oil in the water column and the effects of oil gathered along coastal shorelines, he said that there's also a lot of work to do in the coming months related to demobilization of equipment as operations start to scale down. We also have the issue, because the spill response has been going on almost 100 days now, we have 100 days of equipment that's been mobilized and a lot of efforts that will slowly need to be demobilized. All the areas that were boomed with sorbent booms and and hard booms along the shorelines in areas where there isn't oil, those will now have to be removed and recovered. So there's a lot of work left to do just to demobilize the equipment. But perhaps one of the biggest challenges faced by response and restoration is that the Deepwater Horizon oil spill is not their only responsibility. The office provides scientific support for all major ocean and coastal spills around the nation. And while the response effort continues in the Gulf, new spills are happening elsewhere around the country. Yesterday, we had three other spills that we were activated on, and one here in Louisiana, two in the Great Lakes regions, and one up in Alaska. So we're busy with other incidents. Those aren't stopping because this one's going on. We typically respond to 180 to 200 incidents a year. That's a a huge challenge, trying to um, maintain that level of service to other parts of the country is a big issue because almost all of the uh, responders in our organization are here in Louisiana or in command posts in Mobile or Florida. So that gives you just a taste of some of the scientific expertise brought to bear and some of the challenges faced by NOAA's Office of Response and Restoration. So what's in store for the future? Here's Doug. I think that the, the response work is still has several months of work and the cleanup won't be complete, but will certainly be downsized by this winter. 
there may be a need for spot teams to come back and work through the winter and spring and next summer as more problematic areas like cleaning up the marshes and some of these shorelines proceeds. But I think that the command post will downsize quite a lot. On the assessment side, things are still ramping up, and I would expect that the assessment and restoration process will take at least several years and maybe longer. As we noted at the beginning of the episode, we've only touched on a part of NOAA's involvement with this massive spill response effort. If you want to learn more, head to deepwaterhorizon.noaa.gov. There you'll find the latest NOAA news, information, data, and maps. The official federal portal for the oil spill response and recovery effort is at restorethegulf.gov. And we'd like to thank Doug Helton, Incident Operations Coordinator with the Office of Response and Restoration, for taking the time out of his extremely busy schedule to speak with us. And that's all for this week. If you have any questions about the podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, or if you have an ocean fact you'd like answered, don't hesitate to send us a note. We're at nos.info at noaa.gov. And visit us online at oceanservice.noaa.gov. Now let's bring in the ocean. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back in two weeks.